Welcome to Real Financial Planning, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, joined as always by Mike Morton of Morton Financial Advice and the host of, what is it? What's your podcast, man? (laughs) Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs and Tech Professionals. I knew what it was. I just wanted to give well, an excuse for you to say it. You can't remember that whole thing, Come on. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's it's a little long. Um, it's like it's a little long. It's like in the movie The Social Network, where it's like instead of calling it the Facebook, just just Facebook. It's cleaner. So we got to we got to cut like right. I, I, there's like seven words in there. Just yeah. just lose one. Financial planning. Financial planning. That's what it's all about. So. <laughs> So this is a very different show that we're recording today. Normally, I gotta I'm gonna let our listeners in on something. I kind of know what we're gonna talk about before we get going. Today, Mike is springing something on us here. We have done. I'm not making this up. We've done no preparation whatsoever. But this is kind of the confluence of some area of expertise for me. My background is in policy, in legislation, in Congress. I was a congressional staffer for about a decade. And then I worked in the state Senate of New Hampshire. So I'm kind of like Crash Davis. I went from the big leagues to AAA ball. And I've had experience on on both levels. And Mike, obviously, is a financial advisor, especially to entrepreneurs and tech professionals. So we're going to try and we're going to merge the streams here, like in Ghostbusters. And Mike, what are we talking about today? All right, Matt. So I was reading the Wall Street Journal this morning. This is where we are, end of October, and talking about you know the, the new tax proposals. We have big uh, one trillion, two trillion, or three trillion um, uh, infrastructure, you know, um, bill that's that's trying to get shoved through Congress, and there's some negotiations going on. And how are we going to pay for it? So this morning's news was you know well earlier you know a few weeks ago it was. Marginal tax rate tax rates might go up, you know, for high for high income earners and, and some other provisions. And this morning's news was scrapping some of that and doing a quote unquote wealth tax on the billionaires to tax un, uh, unrealized appreciated um, gains, capital gains. So capital gains, but you haven't sold that. Normally, when you sell that appreciated stock or house or commercial building, and it's gone up in value. That's when you say, oh, I, you know, I made a couple hundred thousand, it's appreciated, and so therefore you owe taxes on that gain. So the proposal is for people that have over $1 billion in assets or make more than $100 million per year for three years, that Congress would, the government would tax unrealized appreciated gains. And so I was just very interested to how this is going to happen. So that's where my brain went. Like, how would they actually put this into place? And then I thought of Matt with all your policy that the quote in the paper was, this will raise $250 billion in tax revenue from this uh, unrealized appreciated assets. And my immediate thought was like, there's no chance these people that have a billion dollars will figure out ways to avoid taxes. And so I was very curious from Matt's perspective on where did those numbers come from? Like the 250 billion that they expect to get over 10 years. You know, how realistic are these things kind of looking backwards when they've said this in the past? It's a fascinating question. And I, what I like about your idea, your discussion topic here is that it does kind of blend together policy, politics, and your expertise in tax planning and investment. All right, let's break this down kind of a piece at a time. So we'll start with the piece that you just started to explain. It's This is a longstanding issue that really does hit this intersection point between politics, policy, and finance, which is how do we treat 
capital gains. Now, back in the day, one of the things that, that you and I both learned when we were both economic students is that capital gains are weird. We tax them in a strange way because they kind of exist in this nether I was about to say the nether regions. That's not really where they exist. <laughs> no, 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 no. They, don't go there. Yeah. They, they, they exist in, in the nether regions. They, they're, they're kind of in this odd position of they're sort of real, but they're sort of not. As soon as you sell them, you can have cash, right? You own, let's say you own uh, some uh, some Google stock, right? And you bought it at $100 a share, and now it's trading at $150 a share. Well... You could sell that today and you could make money. You you would have a big profit off of that investment. And so what the government says essentially is today, at, if you're, let's say you're going to plan to sell it at two at three o'clock, at 2.59, you have not made any money, even though you own an asset that's worth a lot of money. It is it is it's it's a real asset. You could sell it at any time, but the government says nope. It's not real until it's a little bit like being in the casino. You have chips that you've won <laughs> in a game, and they're worth real money at any time. You could go to the window, the cashier, and trade them in and have dollars, but they're not real until you do that. And so, what happens is we tax capital gains. Capital gains are actually something that are very popular, especially for Democrats, to tax. Why? Because wealthier people tend to own investments in stocks. That's not the kind of thing that lower income people tend to have. And so it just tends to hit wealthier people more. And in this country, in general, we believe we should tax wealthy people more. But here's the dirty little secret. We don't what we say we tax capital gains at is not really what we tax capital gains at. There's what we call the nominal rate of taxation, which is whatever whatever it says, you know, it's 15%, right? But the reality is that because we don't tax capital gains until you show up at the cashier and turn it into cash, the real rate of taxation is way, way lower. Well, what does that do? It creates Wait, an hold on incentive. A I'm yeah, stop go. there for a sec. Because like the real, what do you mean by the real rate is way much lower? Because like you, so both of us bought that Google at 100 and now it's 150. I sell mine and I have to pay 15% of that $50 gain and you don't sell yours. So is that what you mean about like the real rate is a lot less because there's floating unrealized gains out there that are not being taxed at all? It's just a math exercise of the total amount of value and the total amount of tax. And what percent of okay. the total value do you end up seeing in total tax? And it, it kind of goes to the point but that's that the you un- were making. Is that, so is that what you're saying, though? The unrealized. Un- that's right. Unrealized, which means you haven't sold it. So the right. total value has, you know, between the two, in my small example, the two of us both gained $50 of capital gain. So the total value is 100 bucks, but the government only got to tax 50 of it so far because you didn't sell yours. Right. And what, yes. And what eventually happens is all kinds of tax avoidance strategies. That's what you were saying at the top. (laughs) Right. Right. So what can you do? You could make it part of your estate, right? You can, and then we could kill off Matt and (laughs) his his kids will inherit it. And then they just avoid that $50 altogether. Now you're talking. Simple example. (laughs) Well then, and then there's, here's, here's the beautiful part is that if you're super rich and you were explaining this to me on an earlier show, 
If you're super duper rich, what you do is you never sell it at all. You have, let's say you have hundreds of millions of dollars of assets like this, not just my hundred bucks of Google, but let's say you're, you know, Sergey Brin or, or Eric Schmidt or one of those, you know, Google founders, and you have hundreds and hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of these assets. You don't want to sell them because you don't. That would be silly. You'd pay a lot of taxes. That would be silly. You'd pay a lot of taxes. So what do you do? You go to the bank and you say, all right, I've got a proposition for you. <laughs> right. You are going to lend me lots and lots of money and you're going to do it at a low, low interest rate, which you're going to do for me because I'm an awesome client who has hundreds of millions of dollars with you. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to have my investments that make an average of, let's let's be general, let's say it's only like 6% and I have a loan that I pay 2% interest on. And so this is a money-making proposition <laughs> for me. It's a money-making machine. <laughs> I never sell my assets right, right. and I have cash flow and my assets continue to appreciate, it right. is, it's kind of a scam. And so you can begin to see why politically, again, Democrats like to tax the wealthiest among us, and you can begin to see why this is an attractive idea. Right. So this is, this is why we have the idea to tax unrealized appreciated assets or capital gains, because it's all sitting out there and so much of it avoids tax altogether. Right. So- my first question to you, Matt, is that $250 billion, um, what was quoted in the paper that, that Congress said, I don't know who said it, that, that we expect, I guess it's the Federal Bureau Office, the FBO says, oh, we're going to, you know, over 10 years, we're going to get $250 billion of tax revenue by taxing this. In the past, I've seen those quotes, you know, oh, if we make this change, we will get X billion of dollars. How, how much, how often is that true that over that 10 year period, they actually get that money? Um, it, it turns out to not be super accurate much of the time, although the economists who work for the Congressional Budget Office are, are very good. They're, they're excellent. Um, so the rules in Congress basically are you can't pass something unless the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, gives it a score, unless you project how much is this going to cost. Well, that sounds like a good idea to most people, right? right? You should have some idea. And so... They have to come up with a theory of what things are going to cost. They're not always right. They're frequently wrong. But what it does, the effect of it is, for anyone who's ever been on a weight loss program, maybe using an app like MyFitnessPal or Weight Watchers, which gives points instead of counting calories, is it'll ask you, what did you eat? Like, I had a chicken sandwich. All right. How many calories was that? Well... <laughs> How accurate is that estimate going to be? You had a chicken sandwich. Well, was there mayo on it? What kind <laughs> right. of bread was there, right? Like, you know, was it reconstituted chicken? Was it Subway? What, you know, all these things come in. And so what do you do? You basically put in a swag, which is, it stands for a scientific wild, well, I'm not going to say what the A stands for, <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's another word for a donkey. It's a scientific <laughs> wild mm, guess, right? And you put in a guess. And what tends to happen is that all those swags, all those guesses, at the very least, what they do is they kind right. of, they add up. I got you. Yeah, yeah, you know? I got you. So you're like, you're in the ballpark. But I just read that number, to be honest. And I was like, there's no chance they're going to get anywhere close to that because of, you know, simple things like, not simple things, complicated structures that um, are available or will be available to avoid taxes. So we're talking about people that make, that have over a billion dollars of assets, or make over $100 million per year for three years, 
Okay. And they, they said in the article, that's about a thousand us citizens. All right. So a thousand people out there are suddenly going to get hit with tax bills of billions of dollars. What are you going to do, Matt? (laughs) If you have a few billion and you're like, geez, this tax bill is going to cost me $500 million. I think I'm going to spend quite a bit of money trying to figure out how to not lose $500 million. A hundred percent true. And this is one of those, there's no good answer to, to this problem. So, you know, the starting point, the reason we ended up here is that the original idea was we were going to raise money to pay for the investments that otherwise the, the president and, and congressional leaders want to make. We're going to raise money by doing a few different things. Among them, we're going to go after high income, high net worth people who are not paying their taxes. We're going to actually increase the enforcement ability of the IRS to go after. Most of the time, what happens is there's there's zero auditing. <laughs> there's, there's zero. People kind of know that we're on the honor system here. And so what happens is that economists estimate, look, if you did more enforcement, more auditing, that would send a signal to people that you can't get away with this stuff. We know that people are skipping out on this stuff because we have the release of the Panama Papers, you know, and there's there's all these revelations that are coming out that internationally, people who are high net worth are avoiding their taxes. So there's no there's no good answer. Yeah, are they? And and I haven't read through all the papers. Are they straight up? avoiding tax if they were audited they'd owe you know an extra 10 million or are they using somewhat gray areas of the law to attempt things that then have to go into the courts and say look you did this this wasn't really the letter of the law or whatever it is and right i mean it's a very it's there's not a sharp dividing line between those two is the way i read it is that you know in some cases they're they're following tax avoidance strategies that we allow and in some cases they're skating close to the edge and they're 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 being aggressive and it's like look why not because if the IRS comes after me which is a very very low risk to start with i have very high pay attorneys to fight right. this you know it it's 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 a worthwhile No it's a good gamble. it's a good calculation i get it but um so why is this is a thousand people we're talking about why wouldn't the IRS be like 100% focused on these people first. The payoff seems to be way greater than just going after the average Joe. Well, that is one of the calculations here. So for one thing, um, it's an easier group to keep track of, right? Rather than kind of taking a scattershot approach of we're going to hire 600 more auditors for the IRS and tell them go to town, we're going we're gonna to constrict what we're focused on in terms of mm-hmm. tax policy to this this small group of people. That's that's one thing. Another thing to bear in mind is that when the Congressional Budget Office scores something like this, they factor in that people are still going to find ways to avoid it. There that's okay. that's a little bit baked into that 250 billion. You know, a lot of any road you go, assumptions like that are going to be a little bit baked in. The real reason I suspect, I can't prove this but the real reason I suspect that Democrats have chosen to go down this road is that there's a funny thing that happens in politics when Democrats especially – I mean, look, the way it works out is Democrats are the ones who want to raise taxes on the wealthy. Republicans are the ones who want to cut taxes on the wealthy. But what voters hear is every part of that sentence except for on the wealthy. They actually don't believe the on the wealthy part. 
All they hear is raise taxes, lower taxes. And Democrats will shout till they're blue in the face that it's what Joe Biden's been saying. No one who makes under $400,000 a year is going to have higher taxes. Yeah, but that's see, that statement became not true, though, if you start looking at the details of some of the stuff um, that they're talking about. It does affect people that make less than 400000 if, well, there, and, and there are pains to try and work around that. So another revenue raiser that they're looking at here is essentially a carbon tax. Well, how do you pay a carbon tax? That gets passed through from carbon-producing businesses like ExxonMobil. Well, they create a lot of carbon. So what happens is you assess a tax on that. It gets passed through to consumers. And that means you and me. We make under $4,000 a year. <laughs> That's right. But so what what the Biden administration is proposing is we would send that back in a rebate. So at the end of the day, if you're paying some, you're going to get it back. You're net. You will not pay any additional taxes. It's complicated. But if you want to keep political promises like this, one of the things that's appealing, though, about going after just these super high people and saying it's these thousand people. If you're not on the list, (laughs) it doesn't include you, (laughs) is – Oh, that's actually pretty definable for people. That's something that people might actually believe. Yeah, yeah. And so then you get to, you know, my next thought was, what are these assets that, how are you going to, you know, value these assets and create a tax on these assets when they're unrealized gains? Um, and so I did read that they, they were talking about just doing public assets, right? So literally, you know, you own a stock or an index fund or a mutual fund. Well, you can see that has a, you know, public price that you can look up and understand that, okay, you own this amount of shares and and it's gone up with this amount. So that makes sense. But a lot of these, I assume a lot of these thousand individuals have massive amounts in private areas as well and can easily translate from public to private. This is what the whole avoidance thing is just going to be. I'm not going to say they're easy ways and I'm not, um, I'm not an expert. Let me put it this way, Matt. I don't have a lot of billion dollar clients. (laughs) Uh, so I'm not an expert in, in all the strategies, but you can pretty easily imagine how you can swap public assets for private assets, um, make things hard, obfuscate things, make them hard to understand, and get rid of assets in such a way that you don't need them to live if you got a few billion dollars. Like you said, you go to the bank and borrow money. You can get rid of assets in different ways by dynasty trusts and charitable trusts and other, other types of strategies um, to reduce them, get them out of your estate. Right. It's a little bit like squeezing a balloon, right? You put pressure on over here, the air is going to all rush and balloon out over there. And you're right that that you're creating an incentive system. This has always been the argument about taxation, is that you're essentially giving incentives for people to move money around to avoid it. We spent a lot of time on this show talking about how to (laughs) move money around to avoid taxes. (laughs) And some of that can be intentional. If you set up your policy in a smart way... You know, you want people. That's one of the reasons that you, for example, put a lot of taxes on things like cigarettes because you want people to invest less in smoking. <laughs> that's, right. a, that's a policy outcome that you're looking for. I do think one of the interesting findings recently has been that revelations like the Panama Papers matter. They actually have an impact. These high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals do care to some degree, not everyone, a lot of them have a kind of like, <laughs> you know, double-barreled, forget-you kind of reaction to this stuff. But they do seem to care. And so 
Yes, you're probably setting up incentives for people to move assets around. Hey, if you're going to assess this capital gains realization tax to me, if I'm above a certain net worth, yada, yada, I'm going to have, and it's going to apply to these kinds of assets, like these kinds of stocks, but not to, let's say, Mm -hmm. real estate assets. What am I going to do? I'm going to sell some stocks and I'm going to move things over. We'll probably catch some people in the transfer anyway um, and get some tax out of that. But at the end of the day, what you're kind of hoping is that you can kind of shame people into paying more of their taxes. People don't want to end up on public list that it's like, you know, you're worth $3 billion, dude, and you're paying like less in taxes than I do. That <laughs> that seems wrong, and people don't like to be on public lists like that. Yeah, no, that's true. And it would be interesting. One of the, one of the things that caught my eye too was that they were going to retroactively uh, look at the, the capital gains um, what was it like in beginning of October or September? That's when the date was going to come in so that you couldn't just go ahead. It's not like, oh, this is coming in six months or a year. And so that you could sell things and get the current rate, you know, or, or give things away. It was like, no, it was going to be backdated to like this date um, oh, that's you know, here in the last quarter, uh, which I found kind of surprising as well. And that wasn't in this recent article, but it was in one uh, you know, a few weeks ago, it said, "Oh yeah, you know this this change that's being thought about." I think it was a capital gains, um, the changing the capital gains rate, taxation rate uh, was going to be retroactive. Well, it goes to show, I think, this whole conversation that economists worry about optimal tax strategies. You know, efficient taxation. What's the most efficient way to set up a tax system so that you're not creating perverse incentives for people to undertake activities that you, as a society, don't want. You want people to be economically productive. You want them to still want to work to their maximum extent. You want to get the most tax with kind of like the least tax burden you can, all those things. The reality is everyone's got a plan. What did uh, what did Mike Tyson say? Everyone's got a plan <laughs> until they get punched plan. in the face, right? Punched in the face. That's <laughs> and, right. You know, a no tax plan does well after it gets punched in the face by the reality of practical politics and policy. And these things are complicated. Like they're super hard to enforce. You got to think about that. There's people's public perceptions of them often bear no. Uh, uh, no resemblance whatsoever to the reality of these things. So you could say, hey, we're only raising taxes on people worth more than a billion dollars a year. And people are like, eh, I don't know. I don't trust that. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. <laughs> once it all goes through the sausage making process of Washington, D.C., you get some pretty nutty tax outcomes. And that's why people like you have a business to <laughs> run exactly because right. it's that's so nutty. Thinking. It's so <laughs> complicated. It's like, yes, I've got to explain all this to people. That's all I was thinking while we were talking. Is, mm-hmm, yeah, let's keep let's keep those thousands of pages in the, in the tax code so I can help people try to navigate simple ways of saving money. Oh, absolutely. And look, I mean, this is why, uh, what was his name? Forbes, Steve Forbes, you know, years ago was like flat tax. You do it all on a postcard. It's like, oh, that actually sounds pretty appealing until you start to think about the fact that people like him would pay 
the same as people like you and me, and and no one likes that. No one really <laughs> likes that idea. Of course, you can make a flat tax progressive. It, this is like a this is actually a tax. thing. <laughs> yeah, you can do it. It's it's all about what's in the base of the tax. So, like, what does the tax apply to, and what does it not? But then you run into all these practical realities again. You run yeah, into like from one page to a hundred pages to a thousand pages. <laughs> and before you know it, people like you have an awesome job again trying to explain all this to people, and so. Yeah, it's there's no good answers. But at the top of the show, your question was, is this $250 billion that they're projecting real? I think the short answer to all of that is, no, it's probably not real. But yes, they probably have thought about all the tax avoidance that's going to happen if they do this. It's right. probably the politically most expedient thing to do. And if they're off by a little bit, they're ballparking with all this stuff anyway. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, if any billionaires would like to come on to the show and tell us what they think about all of this and how they're going to avoid it, that'd be great too. Unfortunately, there's an appearance tax of $100,000 split evenly between me, Matt Robeson, and Mike Morton of Morton Financial Advice. Mike, thanks so much. (laughs) Thanks, Matt.